0: everyone and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast my name is Kendra and I'm a part of the core community of CMYK we're a bunch of people in Billings Montana creating space and community where belief and doubt move forward together before we jump in I want you to know that everything we do as CMYK depends on the generous donations of our local and online community people just like you who are working with us to live a more beautiful way forward together So if you love what CMYK is up to and you want to be part of the community on a financial level, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to cmykchurch.com. Through your donation, we are able to continue our work and give away more and more to those in need around us. You can easily give a one-time gift or choose to be a regular part of our creation through a monthly gift of any amount. To those who are already giving, thank you. With that, let's jump into this week's talk.
1: This morning, we're going to be wrapping up our series we've been in for the last few weeks entitled, Be Loved. And the conversation is, okay... Here's who we are as a CMYK community. If you're new to this or just haven't been paying attention because we talk about it a lot, our work as CMYK really revolves around four things, that we believe there's a more beautiful way forward together when we look at life and the tensions in life, the conflicts in life, the issues happening relationally in life, and how do we go about this stuff, both internally and externally. And there's a more beautiful way forward for us to do that. And we see that in the invitation of Christ and a lot of other spirituality and religion as well would point towards these things and say that a healthy life, a whole life is found when you and I are working to be present, to be honest, to be open and then to be the embodiment of love. So we talk about it a lot. It's our work. But when it comes to this idea of being the embodiment of love, this is and we've said it every week. This is something that is naturally and easily Uh, something to get on board with. Yes, I want to be known as a loving person. I want to love and be loved. It's what I want to do. But practically how that plays out in our life can be a challenge. It's a question mark. How do I go about this other than just feel ooey-gooey about things all the time? Because that's what love is, right? And so we've been talking about it. And this morning, we're going to kind of finish up, wrap up this series And I want to look at a story that's found in the Old Testament. It's a story that maybe some of you have heard before. It deals with a guy named Moses. Moses is the leader of the Israelite people, this nation that was not yet a nation. Many of you know the story of Exodus, whether it's through the old film of Ten Commandments or Prince of Egypt, the cartoon, that there was this group of slaves found in Egypt. And that God freed the slaves, and they were freed by the leadership and the work of Moses. Moses is seen as the leader. Well, they're freed, and they're out in the wilderness, and they're trying to figure out kind of what's next and where do we go from here, because all they've known is hundreds of years of slavery living in Egypt. So that's all they know themselves as are slaves. And there's this moment in Exodus, Exodus 25, where Moses goes up to a mountaintop. And on heading up to the mountaintop, the idea is that Moses is going to visit with have a conversation with, interact with God, the divine. And he's up there 40 days and 40 nights. And right out of the gates in Exodus 25, Moses begins this interaction with God. And God communicates to Moses, here's what I want you to do. And the first things out of God's quote-unquote mouth are that you are to build a tabernacle, a sanctuary. You're to build this Tent essentially, but rather than God communicating to Moses, I need you to go down to Target and find a Coleman family size not the two, not the two one, the ten person one because it's going to got to be big not that kind of tent, but something that is so delicate, so intricate, so ornate, something that truly is a piece of art and craftsmanship. In fact, the next three chapters, Exodus 25 through 28, are describing this temple in detail, and on top of that. There's furnishings for the temple that are to be built, to be created. Again, a bunch of slaves that don't have much, and they're being asked to create all of this. On top of that, there's these priestly garments that they're to create from scratch and turn into these incredibly beautiful things for the priests to wear. So Moses is the leader of a bunch of ragtag slaves, essentially, that are recently freed. First words out of God's mouth are, I need you to build this thing. This is a material problem that Moses is facing, because we need materials to make this happen. And the only thing that's going to fix it are materials. So what does Moses do in this moment? Many, for, for many of us, we kind of know the story. We know where the story's land, where it's headed. You know, we know that something's coming, so we don't think about it too much. But to be Moses in this moment, to be somebody that is really unsure of himself as a leader, we continually see throughout the text, to be told to do something that is so intricate, so beautiful, ornate, such a work of craftsmanship, And for him to think, how are we going to accomplish this? Well, Moses comes down from the mountain, and the first thing that he says when he gets down from the mountain is this found in Exodus 35. It says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, wood, oil for the... These things don't exist on Amazon, by the way. Oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incenses, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breast piece. Let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, and its covering, its hooks, and its frames, its bars, its pillars, its bases, and it keeps going on and on and on. The entire rest of the chapter is Moses communicating to the people, this is everything we need. And I didn't put it all up there because... It was going to take a long time to just read through, but I hope you get the point of what's being communicated here. There's a lot that's going to have to go into fixing this problem. This thing, this vision that God has given to Moses of what should be, it's a material problem and only materials are going to solve this problem. And so Moses is coming to the community, coming to the congregation and saying, okay, here's what we're going to need to do. We need this stuff. And so he's coming to everybody saying, I need you to step up and help make this happen. Well, as the story goes, the people respond and begin to give. It says, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the, on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Now, when it comes to economics, yeah, this kind of makes sense. Everybody showed up and brought something to the table and it was great. But here's, here's what I find fascinating and crazy about this story. Here is a moment in time where there is a a vision for something to happen, something for a ragtag group of people that do not have a name, that do not have actually any land or anything to call their own in many ways for what made you a powerful, rich, significant nation or group of people. And here they are with this problem. And the solution to the problem was not Moses trying to be some kind of great leader. It was not Moses trying to go to a certain individual and solving this problem with an individual. Moses didn't get together a leadership team and say, okay, we need to have a leadership team and figure out what this is going to do, a group of CEOs, whatever it was. No, what Moses did is he just brought everybody to the table and said, I need you to bring whatever you have. And when people did that... This thing that seemed insurmountable, this thing that seemed impossible to accomplish for a ragtag group of slaves, all of a sudden is accomplished. And so much more. That they had to stop asking people, they had to ask people to stop bringing things because they had too much. A material problem that is only solved by material goods. And they come to this place of saying, stop, we have too much. I know you're trying to solve a problem, but stop. It's a crazy story for me, because how many material problems are there in the world? When we look at this, let's say, vision or this call, this introduction into what we just prayed, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, this idea that there's something better to be found here, many times that revolves around a material problem. People don't have food. People don't have a place to sleep at night. People don't have heat. People don't have money and resources. It's a material problem, and how, many, how often in our society, and our culture, do we see a material problem like that, and the result is this kind of story, where there's an organization or there's people like, quit bringing us everything. We have too much food for the homeless. We have, too, we have too many places for people to stay. It's usually the exact opposite. We need more. We need more. We need more. It's a fascinating story for me. I think it's fascinating because, as we all know, we live in a millionaire mindset, for when it comes to solving problems like this. The idea being, okay, here's the, here's the material problem. And so the, the question is, well, who has all of that stuff? Who has the potential to fix that problem? And our mind easily goes towards, well, they have lots and lots and lots of stuff and money, so they could probably give to help make that happen. We raise up and celebrate individuals in our culture, like a Bill Gates, who, yes, has... Billions and billions and billions of dollars and is giving so much away to address real material problems, needs, and issues. Way to go. But we look at him and we look at that as some sort of model for what it looks like to be the embodiment of love with material possessions. We look at even someone like an Elon Musk, and I know he can be a polarizing figure, but Elon Musk is someone that is, you know, through his creativity and through his influence and resources, is working to kind of shift the narrative a little bit about electric energy, around solar energy, around space travel. He's doing some things, and we look at him and we go, man, that guy is just doing good work. We live in a celebrity culture. It looks at individuals, and we elevate those individuals, and we say they're the ones that are successful. They're the ones that are just banging on all cylinders. Everything is going great, and they can have true impact on the world. And here's a story that speaks to material need, and the response is not finding an Elon Musk, finding not, not finding a Bill Gates, not finding any individual to come in and solve this problem. But it's simply... And I think powerfully solved because everybody shows up and everybody brings whatever they have to the table. Again, we live in a world of material need. And I think when it comes to this being this embodiment of love, we see somebody without enough materials, money, food, place to stay, whatever it is. There is a heartbeat that we don't want to see that anymore. And the question for many of us is how are we choosing to interact with the material needs around us? And many times, because of this culture that we've grown up in, we look at some sort of organization or we look at some sort of individual and we think, if I could just get there, then maybe I could help solve this problem and fix it. But I'm not there. I don't have millions of dollars. I don't even have thousands of dollars. I don't even know that I have dollars. So at the end of the day, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do for this. And so we just continue down the path, wherever we're going, whatever we're doing that day. And yet here's a story that challenges us, I believe challenges me to look at what is success in solving the material problems in the world around us? Is it finding an individual? Is it finding a millionaire? Or is success actually something different? In fact, I would put it like this, that success in life is not about what you give. Success is found in what we all give. And I know how simple that sounds. I know how basic that sounds. But the idea is there is this invitation to see your life and to see my approach to the material needs in the world outside of just myself, outside of just my individual ability to solve a problem, but to see it within the context of humanity, to see it in the context of community. And that a successful life, I mean, how many of us have dreamed about a successful life for me is not as an individual, me being able to step above everybody else and step into some sort of situation and give and have materials that I'm able to solve problems. Check this out. I'm just throwing dollar bills everywhere like it's raining. This isn't a problem at all. And that feels like success. We celebrate those individuals. But success is not found like that on any level. There is nothing that Moses really brings to the table because he doesn't have much to bring to the table. Success is found because Moses chooses to go to his community and cast this vision to paint this idea. Here's the material need. And there's this group effort. And success is found by joining yourself within a community and saying, we are going to tackle this together. That is what success looks in life. It's what we all give, not what you can give. In other words, the person that's able to give a dollar versus the person that's able to give $100,000. Within the context of Scripture and within the story, no one is singled out. It's just everybody brought whatever they had. Success is found not because there's no difference between someone that brought gold and someone that brought the goat's hair. I mean, they're just doing the same work, whatever you bring. We live in a world that our spirituality many times is driven... And we grew up in this culture that we look at these material needs around us. And we think that the response to a material problem many times within Christianity, honestly, is an immaterial solution. So if someone has a need, you got to, well, we'll just pray for you. Well, the need is I I need food. I need a place to stay. I don't have enough money. Okay. You should come to this church service and church gathering. But, but again, it's a material problem. And I wonder sometimes if the reason that we have these immaterial solutions to material, true material problems is because we have potentially lost sight of pictures, of images, of stories like this, of the power of what happens when a community of people decide, okay, we're just going to bring whatever we have to the table. And we all have this idea of what an individualized success story looks like. I've been a part of church for a long, long time, and the number of people that I've known that have been celebrated because of what they give, and there's this elevation. Man, look, look, at, look at what they're giving. Look at what they've done. Let's all stand and applaud and celebrate. It's just a part of our culture. And at the core of solving material problems when it comes to the scriptures, has nothing to do with that narrative and everything to do with, okay, success is when you and I, we all, choose to bring whatever we have to the table. And this collective idea of solving problems is actually found. And the potential to see, just like this story in Exodus, it's not just, okay. we we made it, whew, cross the finish line. It's there's more than enough here, because everybody's bringing whatever they have. One of my favorite examples of this is found in, uh, it's actually found in all four Gospels. This is the only story, uh, this is the only miracle that we see in all four Gospels. It's Jesus teaching in the countryside, and there's thousands of people. He's been spending all day with them teaching. And it comes to the end of this day. End of the day, and the disciples begin to notice something. It says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him, Jesus, and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So there's a problem, and it's a material problem. And so... Jesus has a solution. He answered them, you give them something to eat. (laughs) And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, a couple things behind that. First and foremost, what we know from this story is that disciples are entering into this material problem, and they're assuming this is not our thing to figure out. This is not our invitation. (laughs) We're doing a good work here by letting you know this is a problem, but we're assuming that there are other people out there that are going to solve this problem. So we just need to release them to go solve the problem. And Jesus chooses to do this thing and point it to them and say, "Nope, actually this is your problem. You give them something to eat. And for Jesus, this material problem is something about being invited into your humanity and seeing someone without need and saying, you have the opportunity and the invitation to do something here. But then what's fascinating is they quickly and easily jump to the math. Okay, it's going to take 200 denarii, which is a day's wages, one denarii. And so it's 200 days wages to pay for this. So it's almost this like sarcastic, like, really? Really, you think any of us have 200 denarii just sitting around? But they already know this is what it's going to take. And the way that they approach it, again, is this is an individualistic approach to solving this problem. I don't have 200 denarii. Do you have 200 denarii? Do you have 200 denier? Nobody else. So there's no individual here that's going to be able to solve this problem. So again, they just kind of back out. This isn't for me. The material problem, yes, but I don't have the material to solve this problem. So I am out. As we know the story goes, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Just go look at what you actually do have. And when they found out what they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups and on green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 basketfuls full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So just 5,000 men, most scholars would kind of put it at 15,000 to 20,000 people when you had women and children were there that day. Now, a lot of us have heard this story before. And for many of us, we grew up with this story or this idea of what's happening here is. And I, I, I don't practically know how this works. We weren't asked to figure that out on any level. In Bible school, I wasn't asked to figure it out. But it's an interesting thing. So Jesus has five loaves and two fish. And he just starts dividing among the people. And all of a sudden, there's enough to feed 20,000 people. And there's 12 basketfuls filled at the end of it. Like, what, what, what's happening? How, how, how does that physically work? Is it just magically appearing in the basket? Is he just tearing, but it's not actually tearing? Like, what's happening here? And that's the story that many of us grew up with. There's this miraculous encounter where Jesus shows up and just provides for everybody in need. That's a fine way to read this story, yes. But a few years ago, I stumbled upon a a train of thought when it comes to these parables and some other stories of Christ. That there is this theological argument taking place and saying that this story... It's not about Jesus just sitting there and magically there's this thing happening and nobody's really noticing that there's more bread and more bread and more bread and more bread. But actually what's taking place, they're saying, is that Jesus asked the disciples to just bring what they had. And in bringing what they had, Jesus began to distribute what the disciples had for everybody else. And in that act and in that movement, everybody else started doing the same thing. They started looking at what they had and they started distributing it and sharing whatever they had with those around them. And so out of that work and out of that act, this miracle took place where everybody no longer saw themselves as just an individual that I got to solve this with 200 denarii, but everybody saw themselves as a contributor to this material problem and saying, well, I have this and I have this and I have this. And everybody just shared what they had. And at the end of the meal, again, a direct parallel to the story in Exodus, there is more than enough. Twelve basketfuls left. Now, for some, that's incredibly challenging because we grew up with this idea. We've been told this idea that God, this story, is one where you just have what you have, and then you pray, and hopefully God continues to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. Again, that is a way that you can approach this story. But for me, it is a far more profound miracle to go after something like this happening, where what if we as human beings... What if we as people actually brought what we had and began to share it with those in need around us? Like, that's crazy. For some, the idea of praying to a God that's going to multiply things and it's just magic fish everywhere, that's not crazy. We can do that. But the crazy thought of what if we just brought what we had and just shared And everybody then was fed. I love the way the theologian, scholar, uh, Dominic Croson, he says this. He says, the point of this story is not multiplication, but distribution, that that's the miracle that's happening. It's this rare time within humanity, similar to what we see in Exodus, where everybody just brings what they have. And now this material problem that seemed insurmountable, we don't have 200 denarii, all of a sudden, it's tackled. And it's tackled with more than enough left over. Again, I know that this simple idea of success being not what you give, but what we all give, I know that it's simple and novel, but my hope this morning is to just ask the question, what kind of vision, what kind of miracle are you seeking when it comes to solving the material problems in the world? Because to be the embodiment of love is to engage these things with material solutions. We don't just pray for people. We're not just seeking to get people to come to church and do those things that maybe we think that's what the response should be. But we actually are asking ourselves, how am I working towards these material problems in the world? And the solution for me is found in demolishing this millionaire model this celebrity uh, individualized approach to what success looks in life and asking myself am i successful and uh, in other words am i somebody that's going after this kind of vision that's found in mark where every, i'm just a part of everybody bringing whatever they have to the table to say we got a problem here and we're going to we're going to solve it because we're all showing up and the miracle that that could be, the success that my life could have, and choosing to see that take place. I think if you're going to do that, um, if we're going to go after that, to close this morning, there's just a couple things. First and foremost, I think you need to identify your community. This whole series about being the embodiment of love, again, has been this, this statement that we've said now every week, and that is that to be loved is to be healthy, And part of that is finding yourself in healthy relationships and healthy community and healthy dynamics when it comes to that. That we cannot be the embodiment of love to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's just physically impossible. And so how, how are we identifying the relationships in our lives? But to do that is pointing towards this kind of moment where you have identified, these are my people. This is my community. And again, it could be this space called CMYK. It could be another community. It could be another organization that's working to solve and help material problems in the world, but that you truly identify with that community. Again, in an individualized approach to these kinds of things, we don't identify with the community necessarily. We just wanna show up. And if we have the thousands of dollars, be able to drop the bomb, see the significant thing happen and go, woohoo! look at what I did, be celebrated, get the card, get the tax break, whatever it is, and then get out because look at what we did. And the approach here is to identify yourself within a community and say, we, we're going to tackle this. We're going to go after this. And so have you identified community that you are bringing what you have to the table in that community? Again, it could be CMYK. It could be a small group of friends. It could be a nonprofit organization. Whatever it is, but that you truly identify and say, this vision of actually tackling material problems, I want to see happen. It's got to start with you identifying your community and saying that success for my life is when we all give, it's not found in what I am able to give myself. The second thing I think that needs to happen if we're going to see this take place is that we need to take time to sense your call. I know this sounds like flowery language, but I really believe that there is an invitation on every single one of us to engage this work of being the embodiment of love in the world around us. But I know what it's like to live my day-to-day life and get so wrapped up in, so concerned with, so many different things. And to find myself in this space of feeling like I don't have enough, I'm not recognizing what I actually have, and I'm just go, 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 go all the time. And I need moments like Jesus potentially has with his disciples, the feeding of the 5,000. Where I take a deep breath and I recognize there's something about Matt Blakesley. And it doesn't make Matt Blakesley special, it just makes him human. Because there's something about you that's human. That we would breathe deep and we would understand. I give them something to eat. As much as this feels like a problem, that there's no way. Because I don't have the resources or the materials to actually solve this. I give them something to eat. What do I have? And for me, the work of taking time to breathe deep, meditate, pray, whatever word you want to put on it, and to remember my call. I don't get to sit on the sidelines on this one. I don't get to just sit and wait for Elon Musk to show up with a really ugly cyber truck. If you saw that this past week, they're not that great looking. I don't just get to wait for that to happen. You give them something to eat. I give them something to eat, and that my success in life is not found in the amount. My success is found in the community and what we are able to do together. I think the final thing I would say this morning, if you're going to do this, is that you and I need to then begin to live the health of generosity now. If I really believe that there's this call, if there's this invitation in my life to approach these material problems in the world, then I need to start living generously now. And again, the whole point of this series has been to be loved is to be healthy. And what we know, because of a lot of different research that's happened over the last couple decades in particular, that generosity actually impacts your life in a healthy, healthy way, particularly your brain. And there's been multiple studies that look at stress and anxiety and say, if you want to do something that helps take down stress and anxiety in your life, this is one of the best tools that you have to just start living more generously, to start giving more and more away. Which is crazy, it's backwards because most of us are anxious and stressed out because we feel like we don't have enough or we're anxious about the fact that we're not going to have enough. And so here is this tool and this invitation where you are right now, to begin to live a more healthy life. And it's found in generosity. And it's doing it now, because it's not about the amount that you personally can bring. Well, I can't really do that much, so I probably shouldn't engage this thing. No, you can bring whatever you have to the table. And see that now. The vision for this thing called CMYK from day one has been what if, what if everybody brought what they had to the table? And from a financial model, we've, we've set it up to be able to give away absolutely everything that we can. And our goal from day one has always been we want to give away more and more and more and be more of an impact in the world. And I love it. I'm, I'm being honest. I've said it here before. I love it when at the end of a Sunday we have our giving boxes, we pull out, there's a couple dollar bills. I love it. Because that's something that somebody brought to the table. Is whatever you have and saying, I'm, I'm just bringing whatever I have. And am I here this morning to say, and CMYK, we have fixed homelessness. We did it, everybody. Give yourself a pat on the back. That's not it at all. But we want to be a material solution for the material problems in our community around us. If it's not CMYK, that's okay. Is there an identified community in your life that you're bringing whatever you have to the table and saying this... We can do this and that you are being the embodiment of love. You're just not waiting for the million dollar check to show up. And then all of a sudden you can be generous and give away a lot. I remember um, it was a couple years ago uh, that we had launched this capital phase two campaign for art house. Um, which if you don't know, we as a theater are trying to expand back there to add three screens, add a kitchen over there so we have a restaurant out here, food to the menu, all this stuff. It's a major, major project. It's $2.3 million. And I remember um, the night that I was going to stand up in front of a room full of people, art house members, people that you know love this place and want to help it move forward, and this was our big unveiling of phase two. I remember going to the bathroom in that restroom and and having this moment uh, of thinking, who do you think you are, Matt? Like who, who, you're going to stand up in front of a room full of people, and you're going to say, you're going to raise $2.3 million? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. This is a little dinky theater. I mean, we're, just, we're getting by. Do like, you think you can do that? And I remember this moment clearly, and I don't, I don't use this kind of language much anymore, but I, I have to use it here. I felt like there was this voice, this reminder for me that just reminded me in that moment in the bathroom here, having a panic attack about stepping out, saying, we're going to do this. And I heard this voice say, Matt, do you, do you think this is your idea? Do you think this thing revolves around you, how awesome you are, how cool you are? And it was this moment of like, ah, this has never been about me. This is something that my wife and I kind of felt called to, that we wanted to invest our time and energy into. And then this story of art houses, we're looking to break ground on phase two in this January in a couple months, which is crazy. It's crazy. But it's a story of hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people Bringing what they have to the table. I know that this is a movie theater. I get it, okay? This is not solving hunger. We have not, I get that. This is a movie theater. But all I know is that when I quiet myself, there are material problems in this world that I do feel a call to. And I want to be a part of solving, helping that, and not just sit on the sidelines. And it's the same kind of thing that I need to remind myself of in that restroom where I just want to say, who do I think I am that I can help the population in downtown Billings with, you know, transients, with people that are unhoused? What do I think I can do with safety issues in our community? What, what do I think I can do for the people that we know, statistics we know, are going to freeze this winter? What do I think that I can do? Who do I think I am? To quiet myself and to feel and sense this call of, Matt, do you think this is your idea? The story of Exodus is one of God going to Moses and saying this crazy thing is something I want to see you do. And then the community is able to do it. The story of Mark is Jesus saying, you give them something to eat. And I believe that the story of our lives is looking at these material problems and saying, there's this call. This isn't my idea. This is part of my humanity, my invitation to be a part of this. This morning we come to this table, and all are welcome to come take a piece of this bread, dip it in the cup. And I've said it here before, but the strongest language language we have in the Scriptures about this meal, this communion, is when Paul is pissed off because a community of people has segregated this meal To the rich and the poor, the aliens and the outcasts, and everybody gets to eat a different meal because everybody's on a different level. And Paul has some strong language to say that is not okay. Because at the core of what this meal is, is an invitation for anybody and everybody to say, I'm a part of this. I'm a part of this thing. I'm a part of this vision, this call. And I am not just sitting on the sidelines. I'm a part of it and bringing my resources, my materials, whatever they are to the table to say, we can do this. And this is success for my life, to continually find myself in this place, I'm not going some, after some individualized millionaire model. <clears throat> so this morning, I'm going to play a song, invite everybody to come forward, take a piece of bread, tip it in the cup, and receive. To maybe process and think through these things and to ask yourself the question, is there a community that I'm bringing anything to? And what is that community? And then to step forward now into that healthy approach of life. Whenever you're ready, feel free to come forward. There's some of you uh, in this room that have potentially spent a whole bunch of time and energy communicating to yourself and those around you that you don't have anything to give. And so why bother the material problems and needs are nothing that you can handle. You don't have 200 denarii. But God, this morning, my hope is that this this bread and this cup is so much more than that and a reminder for us of this call to go and to... um, as the first followers of Christ called themselves, the body of Christ, the hands and feet, and that we are successful in that. And that success isn't found because of any one individual or a small group of individuals, but by everybody bringing what they have to the table. God, this morning, I, I think even to do the work of taking a moment to recognize and think about all the great organizations in our community that are working towards these material needs. Things like Young Families, things like the Crisis Center. So many organizations that um, are, are doing everything they can to solve the material problems for people because that is a part of your vision for our world that we want to lean into and be a part of. So we leave this place this morning. We go and we give all that we have, all that we can, as community, in communities, to see these tack- problems tackled. In the name of Christ, we pray and we say it together, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, I love the story of this thing called CMYK. Um, We've had multiple times where we've been able to give to an organization um, that's doing really good work in our community. And we get a letter back or a response back of like, that's the largest gift we've ever received from a church. And they think we're some kind of big mega church. I'm like, no, there's like 10 people. It's fine. It's just been a really, really beautiful thing. So, if this is your community and your space to to give to, then thank you for being a part of that. If it isn't, that's okay. But I would just ask, I would invite you, I would challenge you, to f- identify that community, whatever it is, and give what you have there, because we can do this where there's more than enough for everybody. It feels crazy, but I've, that's a miracle I I believe in and want to give my life towards.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. As always, if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or through our website at cmykchurch.com. Also, while there, you can find out more about who we are, where we're headed, and how you can get plugged in to give with this unique experimental church. Have a great week, and we hope to see you soon.